CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Bosch Software Innovations. Welcome to CIO Talk Radio with your host, Sunjog All. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sunjog All. Hello and uh, welcome to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. And as always, we invite to jo- join the discussion on Twitter, hashtag CTR Live, and look for this show as hashtag leadership and hashtag productivity. Today's topic is, is a leader's time limitless? And our guest for today's show is John Baldoni, who's a leadership educator, executive coach, and the chair of leadership development practice with N2 Growth. He's also the author of his forthcoming book, Moxie, The Secret to Bold and Gutsy Leadership. Uh, hello, how are you, John? How's life treating you? Uh, good morning to you, Sanjog. Uh, things are uh, very good with me, and I appreciate the opportunity to come on and have a nice conversation this morning. Oh, the honor is all ours. So now we live in an always onward, 24 7. And uh, as a leader or an executive, it's easy to feel uh, you always have to be on your uh, on the top of your game, constantly putting out fires or responding to other stakeholders. And it can seem like there are endless hours in the day. Now, either stakeholders expect the world of you or your employees do. And uh, it can lead to some important things, suffering. So the topic for today's conversation is looking at the productivity and time management of a leader and how to be truly uh, satisfied in the role, plus, of course, create a culture so that we are given the opportunity to spend the time where we are most effective as leaders. So looking at the time management and productivity, yes, there have been a number of blogs being uh, written and articles and books, et cetera, et cetera. When you look at the leader as as they grow into the role of a leader or an executive, what do you think changes uh, in the way their time is supposed to be managed versus how typically it goes? Well, Sanjay, I think you hit the nail on the head in the, in the first words when you talk about the uh, commitments and expectations from the various stakeholders. Employees want a piece of your time, and rightly so. Uh, your boss wants a piece of your time, and rightly so. And your colleagues need you, too. The more authority you have, other people want to share in that and get your opinion and your bounce and, and your distributed power, if you will. So you're being bombarded uh, from all angles. And, of course, we now are in a 24-7 type culture. I hate saying that, but that's the reality. And part of that's due to the globalism. I mean, I know executives in global companies that come in at 6 in the morning and leave at 6 or 7 in the evening, which is a 12-hour day, which I think is pretty long, and then go home and work. And the reason they come in early and stay late is because they're managing uh, meetings and, you know, they open with uh, what's going on in um, uh, China, and then they close with what's going on in Australia or wherever it is. Come in early for Europe or you know, Australia here or Asia there. And so you, you never really get a hold of your schedule. And it's very, very, you can do that for a short period of time, but after a while it takes a lot out of you. And when you're being pushed and pulled from different sectors, especially out of your office, 
um, you are shorting uh, the people around you who are looking for you, but also you're you're not giving yourself time uh, to think and to process. So it is a it is a real conundrum, and it's a you know I don't know. Uh, there are some techniques we can talk about what you can do, uh, but it's a it is a it's not a it, it, time management is a significant challenge. But those who succeed have found ways to master it. See, all of this that you just mentioned almost uh, gives away this notion as if leader or becoming a leader also makes you a victim of these circumstances which you are bound to agree to and and uh, submit yourself to any and every demand that's placed on us. But would you say that we have to learn to say no for the right reasons and if it is explained properly? Absolutely. Then the ecosystem can be... Uh, arranged in such a way that we don't fall into this never-ending uh, uh, you know, grind, if you will. Absolutely. It's important that leaders limit their time, because as in answer to your question, is a leader's time limitless? The answer is no, um, because if you are stretched too thinly, you will serve no one, including yourself, and you just simply will suffer from burnout. But no, leaders need to, executives need to learn how to say no in a, in a way that is complementary to the organization. Uh, a leader only, I mean, in, so, in many ways, a leader's most precious resource, certainly personally, is his or her time. They have to use that time judiciously. So learning to limit oneself is important. Now, what happens in times of, of crisis, uh, uh, and there's an, a situation of all hands on deck, then people do have to jump to the fore, and you kind of schedules go out the window. But really, those situations shouldn't be the norm. But too often, and I think one of the most overused words in management today is urgency. Everything becomes urgent. Lunch becomes urgent. Now, that's, of course, ridiculous. And then if everything is labeled an urgency or a high-priority what does that really mean? That nothing's urgent and nothing's a priority uh, because it all blurs together. So it is important for leaders to get a handle on what's important. How do I ration myself and my time to apply it in the best possible way? Now, president of a country, I'd not name who that person is, but he quoted that if a person says, I cannot get my job done in eight to 10 hours, then they are to look at the way they have been uh, managing their time and the way they have been delegating. Because that is basically a good benchmark. Because if you are not getting the, the, the work done in those 8 to 10 hours where when you're most productive, then you're unnecessarily making it as a snowball effect that you'll work 20 hours today and then you'll be even worse tomorrow. Uh, absolutely. I mean, we can work in short bursts on deadlines, but not over the long haul. And we, we, as you brightly said, you limit your own productivity. You're just simply not at your best. So by limiting what it is you do, then you can tackle more. And you raise something about delegation, and that's a whole other matter. But um, where leaders get in traps, and this is an organizational issue, is they feel they don't have the people to whom they can delegate. Well, that's an organizational issue, but it falls on the executive's lap because he or she is managing people who are not capable. And what that means is the executive picks up the slack. And that's, not an, uh, that's an unhealthy situation. And in that instance, the, the executive needs 
better trained employees or different employees who can actually do the job. And at the same time, that executive can help take time to train and grow and develop those people, but then that becomes a different priority. So it is, it's not as easy. I mean, I believe firmly, and every successful executive is an expert delegator. You know, um, and they're the ones that can say, do this. And not only do they delegate, but they also give responsibility. So, and authority to do the job. And everybody knows what the parameters are. It's a divide and conquer, uh, process. And tasks are assigned and done and managed. And everyone knows who's in charge, who's responsible, who has authority. Now, that's an executive function. So, that is a way to, uh, certainly get a hold of your schedule. But if you don't have anybody to delegate to, then you're uh, up against it. And that's a, that's a very uh, it's a tough situation for an executive to be in. So if you were to look at a, a person the way a leader, let's, let's say a person versus a leader. Person means so someone who's been assigned a job, but leader is supposed to figure out what they do on a given day. Uh, and, and they are the masters, if you will, of how a day goes by. Would you say that they are supposed to become available to people because that's when they are supposed to be leader? Because traditional definition is a leader is always available to its people so that they can help overcome the obstacles and also spend time in, in developing them. If they do that, then where is this time pressure coming from? Are there also tasks that they are supposed to be doing beyond developing people and beyond removing the roadblocks for them? Well, sure. I mean, you've given a good definition of leadership, which I I'm really can't quibble with. But let's let's understand that there's no such thing, very few instances of a pure leader. Uh, certainly in an organizational structure, a leader is first and foremost a manager or an executive. So he or she has his own competency, whatever that is, be it accounting, logistics, management, marketing, whatever, or CEO for that matter. So they have to get things done. They have responsibilities to do. Along the way, they're, they're expected to be leaders and do all of the things you, you talked about, which is to uh, develop their people, put them, uh, folks into positions where they can succeed. That becomes part of being an executive. That becomes you know, putting in pe- uh, uh, people to delegate to. That's part of your management-slash-leadership equation. Um, but, yeah, there are limits to what a leader can do. Um, you can bur- overburden a leader uh, that, so that he or she cannot function because the task is too enormous. Um, but after uh, a, a certain situation, uh, uh, leaders need to take control of their situation and find ways to manage it. So it's a, it's a byproduct of both management and leadership. See, we take small business or an entrepreneurial approach to how a person could manage time. If the person can bill at $125 an hour, and if they can pay someone to book their travel for $10 an hour, some people fall into that trap that let me do it because I think I can do it better. Do you think leaders also fall in that trap because they could very well identify things which are, yes, they can do very well. But that's not the best utilization of their time, and, and that, those are the time wasters, and that's where the traps are. Absolutely, and there's two things going on in there. Uh, the first one is what we talked about earlier, where if you, you have to do it yourself because you don't trust the people you have, um, and that's, 
that's a real that's a real serious management issue and and then in that instance the manager the executive needs uh capable talent and so he or she has to address that by developing that talent or going to find it somewhere there's another issue which is if you don't trust your people because you cannot let go that's another issue and that often happens to young rising executives who have been promoted on their uh, level of competency. The, you know, you, we get promoted to management not because we're managers, but because we're good at a given skill, be it IT, logistics, what do you name it. You know, um, and so when you achieve that first rung on the ladder, um, you have to learn to let go of what, you, what got you there so that you can become a, a true manager and, and an executive to help the organization run efficiently so if you cannot let go of tasks and and you have capable people that's on you that's on the leader he or she is not uh... letting go and as a result is overworking him or herself at the same time they are uh... underutilizing the talents of their individual uh, individual employees and thwarting the development of those individuals and additionally, not helping the organization because those people are capable and can do the job, and they are, you know, good thinkers, good doers, and the organization needs capable people. But if they're sort of either micromanaged or overmanaged, then they'll never blossom. And what will happen if it's a talented person? That talented person will simply leave. So if you look at leader, they are essentially human beings first. And in order for them to feel fulfilled, they need to be able to uh, feel fulfilled on four fronts. One is the work, second home, third community, and fourth is self. Uh-huh. If they are to spread themselves in these areas and create time for themselves so that they can contribute on each of these areas to feel fulfilled, Typically, work takes over, and it, it cannibalizes into the other areas. Right. Do you think we are at a point where people are even struggling how to handle their work, and then these that's why these other three things fall way behind, and in fact, that is what is causing leaders to become less and less effective because they somehow feel a void? Well, I mean, I, I think in some what you say has merit to it. Um, and um, I, you know, I can't attribute it. I do know that if there are different domains in your life, uh, work often becomes a priority, and um, that's not a necess- not necessarily an evil. But you need to learn how to manage it and how to uh, cope with it and how to handle it appropriately. If it ta- if work takes over your life, that's not a, a healthy situation. Uh, because it, you're, it's all work and for real no play, but there's no regeneration. There's no um, outside world with uh, friends and family or even taking time for yourself. So, and then you're never regenerating. You're always you're operating always in the reserve category. You're you know you're operating after a while or overworking yourself so much that you really aren't productive nor capable anymore. So yeah, but I think work does dominate, and so getting a hold of that work equation, how you can manage your work life, uh, is critical. So and it, and it starts with managing your time appropriately. 
Would you say that uh, a person who is a leader requires third-party validation or external validation for them to feel like a leader? Because if they say, I cannot even handle my own four quadrants of my life, and, and here I go, I'm trying to prove to somebody else that I'm a good leader. They, do you think people fall in that trap and that's why they try to somehow uh, meet other people's expectation as a leader and that's where the downfall begins? Well, I mean, I think, I think this, is, this may be true of rising executives, those who are you know, just getting their first management roles. They maybe are uneasy in it. And so uh, as human beings, we all need validation. It doesn't matter who we are at, at any level. But, yeah, if, if the self-expectations are so high that you can never achieve anything, um, that's an issue, too. And that's not, that is something... Raised self-expectations are good because they become a catalyst to achieve. But if those expectations are so high, then you can never derive happiness or satisfaction. You know, consider it the perfectionist complex. You, you just never feel satisfied. And parts of that, people like that, tend to be micromanagers, tend to overwork themselves, and may even overwork their subordinates. So it's a vicious cycle that, and there's no enrichment from it. And um, so, yeah, overly um, raised expectations can be harmful for the individual, no question about it. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And let's explore the different ways in which leaders could get caught in traps of times. And what are the different, uh, and then based on the kind of uh, ways they spend the time, like as leaders, does that define them to be different type of leaders? Let's explore this when we come back. Please stay tuned. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Find out how the HP as a service solution for SAP HANA can help you gain instant, impactful business results without capital investment by logging on to hp.com transform information into intelligence and a competitive advantage with a full spectrum of SAP HANA products and services from HP, a global SAP hosting partner. Bosch Software Innovations is proud to sponsor this program. Visit www.bosch-si.com forward slash connected manufacturing to find out how Bosch can help you improve your operational performance and become a manufacturing industry leader in a connected world. Change the way you predict, manage, and produce outcomes. Bosch Connected Manufacturing. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. 
Welcome back. So, uh, John, what are the different ways in which leaders get caught in traps of times? And who are the different type of leaders based on how they primarily spend their time? Um, I think it's, I, I don't know, um, I would call them different types of leaders, but I think it's, it's more executives get caught in what you talked about earlier is the expectations of stakeholders. Uh, if your boss wants something, your employees want something, colleagues want something, uh, usually we default to whatever my boss wants, I will deliver it. That becomes the highest priority. Um, should it always be? Probably not, but that's, you know, if your boss asks for something, you will deliver it. So, and that ends up, and then there's no time for oneself. So that's where the traps come in. Um, leaders who who are uh, uh, manage their schedule are ones who put limits on things. Um, they're very tactical and practical steps. Um, you you know you put time limits on meetings. Um, you have uh, you run tight agendas, or you dispense with meetings. You handle you learn to handle things more efficiently. Now, we're, there's a lot of time wasting that goes on in, in offices and in, in organizations, not because people are willfully um, uh, wasting time, but because they're added on. A lot of sort of make-work tasks get um, um, added in, and so they're, they're value detractors. And it's a challenge, and there's you know uh, optimization and efficiency efforts to try to take those things away, um, and that can help maximize people's time. But what you want is, you know, do people have time to think about their job and actually perform it? And that's what you want to strive for. So um, that's that's the challenge. Would you say if somebody already got the label of a leader, and which is not typically people will just call themselves leader, maybe they have earned it, do you think they are beyond this challenge of being able to uh, handle their time effectively? Well, I think managing one's time is always, you know, uh, paramount. You can get, you know, the term is wrapped around your own axle because situations arise. Um, and the other thing to understand is that Certainly at the top of an organization, leaders don't get to choose their own issues. So, for example, if you become a CEO and you're in charge of something, if you have a product recall or a disaster, a lot of your energy is going to go into helping to manage and mobilize resources to manage that recall or handle that crisis or that disaster. Uh, so that's going to take you away from what your day-to-day -day management leadership role is. Ideally, that crisis will have a finite timeline, and you can get beyond it. But And this is what I meant about not choosing the issues. So all of a sudden, everything is going along smoothly, and boom, um, if there's a blowout in the Gulf or a product uh, uh, recall, all hands on deck to manage that particular crisis. So everyone's time becomes compromised. Now, at the same time, and so you manage differently in a crisis that you man than you manage day to day. In a crisis, you, it's kind of moment to moment, hour to hour, day to day. You're, uh, you're, a leader is looped into the process, my, maybe even uh, huddling with executives on an uh, hourly basis. On a day-to-day -day level, that's not going to happen. There's more, the time frames are more longitudinal. You have more time to think and, and act. However, if you get caught up in the urgency of the moment 
and manage everything as if it's a disaster when it truly is not or truly a crisis, then you you are wasting people's time as well as your your own time. So that's where you find that balance. Would you say that most of the time when uh, a leader is approached, people are not literally looking for those people to roll up their sleeves and start managing? Perhaps they want most of the time their viewpoint because of their, their you know, uh, broad perspective they bring and the level of experience and the clear uh, line of sight they have typically in terms of where the issues could lie and how to best handle versus having to jump in. So do you think an expectation can be set for the rest of the organization that when you're approaching me, number one, bring your due diligence uh, with you so that there are some options and don't expect me to give you a solution. And then uh, I could at most provide you an objective input or evaluation or some analysis, but with minimal time commitment required from my side. Do you think it is seen as a person doesn't want to work or is it seen as a strength where a person with mi minimum amount of time will get people to do the best they can do and, and uh they will be able to help move the ball forward. Would that um, be seen as a better sign of leadership and not a time waster then? Without question. I mean, yeah. And I think that's, and that's what uh, the, the situation you just described um, is the way, uh, is way uh, true, ex true executives operate. Now, here's the challenge. If you take over a function um, where you don't have people trained or certainly not aware of how you're going to manage, you need to... Op, you need to handhold them for a little while and say, when we have our meetings, this is what I expect, and these are my expectations. And I've worked with a lot of executives who have come maybe into new organizations or taken over departments which are not, op, not operating efficiently, and it's up to that executive to uh, instill a new way of doing things. So saying that, and it starts with time, you know, you know, we have a limited amount of time to do this. So when we come in a meeting, I want our meetings to be more decision-based. Tell me what you've done, here's what we're going to do, and we'll go forward. And I will give you my input, and you'll give me your input. And so we'll make a decision that way. So, yeah, it's, that's a more of a professional way to do it. It may take some educating, um, and it often does, but it's a matter of bringing people up to speed so these are my expectations. But no, that's what you described is exactly what good executives do. And and you're saying the fact that we are even discussing this topic where somehow uh, leaders are not able to utilize their time and someone starts thinking maybe above them or below them, that the person can be approached anytime and they can take as much time as they want, then oh, that executive is not doing the job. Is that what we're saying? No, I think... <clears throat> You, I believe very firmly that executive leaders need to have an open door policy that, so that people can talk to them, uh, and and, and so at the same time there have to be limits to that because if everybody's coming in all of the time and just chatting or wanting developmental type conversations, the work is not going to get done. But what, when we say an open door policy, we mean if you have issues, I want you to be able to bring them to me, and we will set up a time where we can discuss them. But if an executive, but if, uh, and that's one thing, so you, you prioritize that and you put that on your calendar and you schedule it. On the other hand, if you have an employee who is popping in and out of your office to ask you questions about the work that he or she should be doing, 
that person is not secure in his or her own job and needs additional training, or the, the executive certainly needs to say, look, Jane, I expect you to do this job. I have confidence that you can do this job. You don't need to come to me in, with questions. Just do it. And that way, and sometimes you may have to do this with new hires, and that's part of the the maturation process in, in, that we all go through in a new job. But if that person continually does that, then that person's probably not right for that position, and you have to consider um, what your options are. See, one is to have uh, the leader fend for themselves and try to figure out how to manage resources, etc., if you were to stand uh, as part of the executive team and or any of the worker who reports to that leader, how would you see uh, or how would you act or react or, or behave with the leader so that that leader is allowed to do the best they can based on their background and their experience and, and the role that they're playing? Well, I say every leader needs to set priorities for his or her function, his or her role. This is what I'm going to achieve, and this is how I'm going to achieve it. At the same time, I'm going to work with my people to help them. They're going to work out the how. I'm not going to figure out the how for everything. I'm going to have them figure it out, too. So that's a delegation move right then and there. So you work on it that way. At the same time, you're going to have some flex in there because there are always going to be issues or time commitments that come up, and you'll have to do something. There's something or an urgent request for one's boss. You have to go respond to that. So that's going to take you out of your normal schedule so you won't be able to do things. But the other thing to do is look at uh, prioritization is very important. Look at all the function, all the jobs that you or tasks that you do in a given day. What can you take off? What can you stop doing? What meetings can you um, not attend? What emails can you eliminate? You know, set up priorities where please don't reply all on uh, every email, um, or simply don't answer those types of emails. Reply all because that clutters up a lot of people's. Uh, uh, inbox, but it also the time to process through those things. So how are you going to handle that? So it starts with the leader making a prioritization. What is it that I need to achieve? What is it my job really to do? And um, go from there, and everything else should be subservient to, is this helping me do my job? Okay, That's the function. Is this, is this really helping? If it's not helping me do my job, it's not helping the organization, then I'm going to stop doing it. And we can, we can clear our schedules if we stop doing it. And one of the challenges that I, uh, when I work with executives, if we're talking about time management, I say, give me a timesheet of what your, uh, you know, percentage of time you're spending on certain things. And, um, and then we talk about it when we see it. And then you'll go, can you, you know, you're spending, you know, 55% of your time training other people. If, if you're not a trainer or that isn't your function, then you have a management issue. So how can you get your people trained or how can you um, find new people who can help you so you don't have to spend your time training and educating them all of the time? And initially, yes, but not throughout uh, a product cycle, whatever. You, know, that, you have to find that optimal thing. So looking at your schedule, where am I spending my time and where can I take from what can I add to it? And that's a matter of getting a hold of your schedule. 
Let's take a quick break, listeners. When we come back, let's actually look at how can a leader diagnose their own productivity problems and how these uh, problems manifest throughout their organizational design. Because sometimes we might be thinking we are doing well, but if we take a pause and look at whatever I'm doing, is there a possibility of improving it? And besides, of course, helping that, that helping themselves, how would that impact the organization? So, so what is the type of diagnostic that can a leader can perform on, on themselves and also on the organization that they lead in order to remove these issues, which is causing a limitless time syndrome in the organization? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. Bosch Software Innovations is proud to sponsor this program. Visit www.bosch-si.com forward slash connected manufacturing to find out how Bosch can help you improve your operational performance and become a manufacturing industry leader in a connected world. Change the way you predict, manage, and produce outcomes. Bosch Connected Manufacturing. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Find out how the HP as a service solution for SAP HANA can help you gain instant, impactful business results without capital investment by logging on to hp.com. Transform information into intelligence and a competitive advantage with a full spectrum of SAP HANA products and services from HP, a global SAP hosting partner. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So for the listeners, uh, John, what do you think a leader can do to diagnose their own productivity problems and the fact that there could be an impact on the organization, how these problems are manifesting throughout their organization? Oh, I think that the, the way to diagnose it is to sit down and think and go, where's my time? And that's why I suggested earlier about doing a timesheet. Where is my time going? How much time am I spending on email? How much time am I spending with my employees? How much am I spending with my boss? How much time am I spending with my uh, colleagues? Uh, how much time am I spending learning about our business? How much time am I spending with our customers, learning their needs? Um, and um, all of that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of different um, aspects to it. So, so, so I think doing a timesheet is. Just, I know it's it's not real. Uh, it's not uh, the most innovative thing to do, but it's a way of getting a handle on how am I spending my time. And you can't uh, unless you do a sit down and you know sort of do a, a timesheet, but just roughly where your time is going. You don't you don't really know how you're spending it. It's like doing a budget. You're not going to know where your money's going until you do a budget. Same thing with your time. 
Now, you and I both have seen, and I'm sure the listeners uh, also have seen, many organizations where everything is to be done yesterday, and there is fire, fire. And right. that is part of being the organizational design, the way expectations are set, the way the leaders lead and the managers manage. What is it that needs to be fundamentally changed in order for that to go away so that people in ideal world, I know it doesn't happen as much, but at least within eight to 10 hours, get the best work, most productive work done. And, and then they are doing things with, with other aspects of their lives versus saying work is 20 hours a day. Um, right. I think it's a matter of, um, it, it's, it's the tyranny of urgency. Um, everything becomes urgent. I have to have done it, as you said, yesterday. I think that's nonsense. Um, if you're, you know, um, a firefighter, um, you have the immediacy of putting out the fire, but then you have downtime where you, you know, clean your equipment, op, you know, get it ready for the next challenge. But if you're always fighting fires, you never have time to, uh, to regenerate yourself or take care of your equipment. But I think a lot of times too many offices or too many organizations run on the firefighter uh, mystique. It's this high adrenaline stuff. And it can be a little bit intoxicating after a while. I call it people become adrenaline junkies. Uh, and they have to learn that, hey, I can't be doing this all the time. And if you want to do that, then that's, there is a special role for you in a team, but you're not going to be an effective senior leader if you're always jumping from fire to fire. And the problem is, is <laughs> what a savvy manager will do is, why do we always have fires? <laughs> you know, what is it in our organization that's provoking uh, disaster or emergency after emergency? Can't we um, manage ourselves more effectively so we can learn to handle things in a more measured manner, in a, in a way that we don't provoke crisis? Will there be challenges? Will there be crises? Of course. But if you have 10 crises a day, then really you don't have any crises. You know? Or your organization is so uh, run in such a slipshod manner that you have serious organizational issues, i.e. you don't have the right people in place, you don't have the right resources, you don't have the right manpower, you don't have enough time to do things. So it also gets back to, you know, sitting in, how is our organization running and what can we do to optimize things more effectively? And, and so the terms that you use, optimize, and, and how, how is it running? Do you think other than that leader who's coming and, and uh, leading the, the pack there, nobody else recognized where it is? Is that mostly not a systemic problem? So if, if a leader was to save themselves from getting uh, sucked into it, they have to you know, hold it by the horn and basically get, uh, get going in terms of making, bringing a solution and executing on it in order to make this happen so eventually it doesn't come and bite them where they get sucked in again. So so that said, so a leader who is working in an organization where their own time is seen as limitless also is automatically going to be an organization where everybody thinks that they are going to be working 24-7. So if they had to solve it and if you had a playbook to share, what would they do as leaders? To well, turn I, this place around. 
Well, you have to. It comes with an organizational diagnosis. Why are the we the way we are? Um, and the first step is to have a conversation. Talk to the people who are actually doing the work. Tell me about your job. Tell me what you do, and what would you like? How could it be better? How could we make this better? And then take all that data, all that input and optimize the job, streamline things. And part of that is going to take, uh, require taking things away. Sometimes we have employees do things which because they've always done them, but they're really not necessary anymore. They become value detractors. At one time they may have had a value, but they no longer do. So, and this comes from, you know, understanding the job, how can I do it better? But it begins with a conversation with the people doing the work, and you go up through the level the managers who are doing it, and then, you, you know, how can we optimize this task? How can we make things work better? Um, I mean, that's the principle for uh, between about lean thinking, you know, doing more in a logical, systemic way that enriches human beings to work at an optimum pace with less waste and do it more judiciously and uh, with more thinking power. You know, that's the principles behind lean. So those kinds of methodologies will help people prioritize what it is that needs to be done and how you can manage your time. But I think time comes down to, um, you know, we use time also uh, as an excuse. And sometimes that can be a, a good thing if you have to say no. You can simply say, well, I'd like to, but I have a scheduling conflict. So that's a nice way, easy way to say a soft no or a, a no in a nice way. But also employees think they don't have any time when actually if they reconsidered their schedule, they could do it if they really wanted to. And they may not know they can really do it because they're burdened by tasks which are not enriching, not adding value to the organization, but rather detracting value. That's where it comes into. That's how you optimize your time, by thinking, what can we take away and what do we need to add? How can I put my people in a position where they can use their time, their resources, the most effectively? Now, would you think that sometimes the leaders who just are in a, they picked up an area, an expertise, a job, which they simply love. And for them, time doesn't matter. And unknowingly, they send a signal out to the rest of the world that, hey, my boss is working literally around the clock, so I should do too, otherwise I would look bad. And then people start following suit. Do you think that could be an unintentional uh, oh, message that we could be sending out? People follow the leader, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you know, do as I say, not as I, you know, do as I do rather than do as I say. And so that's the principle. Yeah, the leader casts a, what's called the shadow of a leader. Uh, people will follow the lead of a leader. And if they see a leader is not doing what he or she professes to do, then they'll say, well, he or she's not serious. And that's going to erode my own belief and trust in the leader. So I'm going to be less, uh, I don't consider that person very trustworthy. So I, they are not worthy of my investment and my time. So, so if you are to uh, look at uh, a leader who has been in a given company and we feel that that organization where he's, he or she has tried to do their best and still the results are not as stellar and people are really getting burnt out and the person is not asked to go, so the person is there and, and 
they are struggling. What should be done so that we bring some structure to the madness? Is it someone, again, the person who has not been able to help solve this problem for the last three, four, five years, do you think the person will suddenly get uh, that, that uh, light of wisdom and, and the person could turn around? Or, or how, how do you think such situations are handled? Well, or should be handled. Yeah, if something, if a leader's not aware that he has a problem, um, that's a problem. <laughs> you know, leaders have to go looking for problems. So it's a matter of uh, of understanding what's going on. And so, a person who's unaware of the issues is a person who's not in tune either with him or herself, or more especially in an organization not in tune with the needs of individuals. So is there going to be this moment of awareness? Probably that would come from a moment of a crisis, like, oh, my gosh, I never realized this was happening. Now we have to do Then the second thing is, do I have the impetus? That's an impetus to change. Do I have the wherewithal to make that change? But so then a person who rallies to that and responds to that, that's in effect, that becomes a more effective leader. But not everybody can do that. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And let's look at how the people who do it well do it. Because there are folks who have aced the art and perhaps they keep improving on it. But what are some of those best practices? I'm not sure if that's the right way to uh, approach it. There's nothing like best practice. It works for different people in different ways. But if people have been successful in building a good balance and are able to manage their time well, build a good culture, what are some of the things they have done if went, if, if they could be tried by you as the listener in your respective organization could bring some positive result? Let's listen to John when we come back. Please stay tuned, listeners. Bosch Software Innovations is proud to sponsor this program. Visit www.bosch-si.com forward slash connected manufacturing to find out how Bosch can help you improve your operational performance and become a manufacturing industry leader in a connected world. Change the way you predict, manage, and produce outcomes. Bosch Connected Manufacturing. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Find out how the HP as a service solution for SAP HANA can help you gain instant, impactful business results without capital investment by logging on to hp.com. Transform information into intelligence and a competitive advantage with a full spectrum of SAP HANA products and services from HP, a global SAP hosting partner. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So we, of course, discussed what people can do and, and some of the different techniques. Now, let's look at what... 
where where we have seen results, where 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 we have seen success, those leaders, what are they doing? What have you seen? So let's talk facts so that we can maybe emulate, if not imitate, what they have been doing in order to get where we want to. Okay. So what what would you say would be the the some of the things that you feel the successful people and you've seen established a pattern or you've seen a pattern in the way the people who are satisfied leaders who are doing good balancing act and they are helping create value for their business and also other areas of their life how are they uh, handling this whole time uh, management thing Well I think that the, uh, first and foremost it begins with um a uh, question, how do I add value to the organization? And understanding what my job is. Not simply my job, job title, but what is my responsibility? So, for example, if I'm a CIO, that's my title. But what does it really mean? Well, it means, in, in my words, um, position, my, company, position the, um, my company to take advantage of technology, uh, you know, so that we optimize our operations and become, um, you know, um, uh, do the best for our customers. That, that, you know, boil it down. So as a CIO, what is it that I must do? What is it my job? So define it in that way. What are my responsibilities? How do I add value? And then people I work with are very, uh, who are successful in this area, are highly disciplined. They, they have a, they run a tight schedule, but not so tight that they're inflexible. But what it is is they, they have high expectations for themselves, and they radiate those expectations to others. So it's, when you work with me, this is what I expect. And over time, you develop a kind of a shorthand that when you have meetings, this is what we will discuss. We'll have decision meetings or we'll have discussion-type meetings. So decision meetings will be, I want you to come to me with the solution to this problem, and we'll say it, yay or nay. If we have a discussion meeting, that's a broader topic and probably less um, often, but this is just sort of a talk session. So it's come with some talking points and things to, to hash out. Also, people like this are understand what it is they where their best value is to an organization, and um, it's where does where do people need me? My boss needs me to do X, so I do this. My team needs me to do that, so I'm with them. Um, how is it that I decide what is my value proposition? And how do I deliver value in very specific ways? And, you know, what is it, how can I ration my time and my presence so that I'm doing the best job I can for my people? And that's a discipline. And, and it comes down to understanding your value and applying discipline to it. Also to this um, uh, equation is a time for reflection. And I know executives, and I've worked with this, and I've coached people to do it, who have a dedicated time for reflection. It's in whatever their week. They'll often tell their administrator, hey, block out Wednesday afternoon for me because I need every Wednesday to, do, um, to, to think and reflect on what's going on. And this, you know, and good managers hold to this. Now, does that Wednesday afternoon get taken at times? Of course it does. But it's the practice of setting that time aside. And what I always do, here's a good reflection exercise. In, uh, it's, I've borrowed it from a, a combat situation that happened in Vietnam. Um, but it was, um, it talks about what is happening, what is not happening, and what can I do to influence the action? So in other words, what's happening with our team? And that's pretty easy to figure out. What's not happening? Well, 
people are, are not completing their tasks or they're demoralized or customers aren't uh, working with us, whatever it is. And then, what, and then the third question is, what must I do to influence the outcome? How do I get on top of this problem? To whom do I delegate things? Um, do I bring more resources to my team? Do I challenge people to address the problem? Do I spend more time in the field? Do I spend less time in the field? Do I delegate others to do this? So you, it's kind of a holistic question, but it's a reflection thing. What's happening? What's not happening? And what can I do to influence the action? And those are what I've described as what good executives that I've worked with all practice. Do you think uh, in order for people to take or get a better handle, they should be thinking of ways to handle what's coming their way or fundamentally shift the way they lead their life and work and, and deal with community and themselves, et cetera, which will be allowing them to be more at peace with themselves and create a better overall outcome? Well, I think it comes down to a self, self-awareness and situation awareness. Um, and it's a topic in my new book that I talk about uh, under the heading of mindfulness. You need to understand yourself. Those most effective leaders understand what they do well, and they understand what they do not do well. And what they do well, they practice that. And what they don't do well, they find help in those areas. Um, and they help with other people or other resources, whatever it is. At the same time, they're always open to feedback. And it's important to understand you're not going to, you will not know how effective you are until you're getting feedback from others. And so that's that sort of a, a feedback can become that diagnostic process. How am I doing? What could we be doing better? And bosses, executives need to make it safe for people to speak frankly to them. What's working? What's not working? What could we do better? And that the most self-aware leaders uh, are also situationally aware because they ask other people what's going on, what your opinions are, what can we do, what resources do we want, and they listen to the answers. Can they do everything an employee wants? Of course they can't, just as you can't do everything a customer may want. But it's, it's, you find a balance for it. You keep, it's, a, it's a process that you go through of testing your assumptions, executing on them, trying, making yourself open to feedback so that you can get... Um, uh, uh, moving forward. And will you always get it right uh, uh, the first time? Of course not. Maybe the tenth time you'll get it right. But it's, it's this process of self continual self and team improvement. And that's what is, uh, effective executives do. So, um, as one of the last questions I'd like to ask you, uh, the advice that people get from many is to, of course, you know, try to find tactical ways of handling stress and handling their time management, et cetera, and, and stop working around the clock. The world that is, we are living in today is not getting any simpler. So would you think the strategies that we have discussed today, could they remain, will they remain relevant for the times that we are expecting tomorrow? Um, that's a fair question. Um, I think let's not confuse with complexity with inability to simplify and get to the heart of issues. We will always need people who are good, sharp, critical thinkers, who can weigh the options, who can make good decisions, whatever the complexity is. Will the challenges of tomorrow be greater than the challenges of today? I don't know. I think we have pretty challenging times 
today. I think we had pretty challenging times in Roman in the, during the Roman Empire. So we, what's changed between then, two millennia ago to now, is the pace of change. So and that's what, and this where your equation of time comes in. How do I manage my time? I, it's an understanding. I can only do so much. So therefore, I must ration my time and optimize it so that I can do my best for my team, for my organization, so that we deliver value to ourselves and to those we serve. On behalf of the show and our listeners, I'd really like to thank you, John, for sharing your thoughts on how a leader can get out of this mode of their time being seen as limitless, where they help uh, organization to uh, to become where everyone is spending the time where they're supposed to and also giving leader the, the leeway to be able to remain most effective every day when they come in. So I really thank you again, John. Well, thank you, Sanjog. I thought we had a good conversation today. Your questions um, really challenged me, and it's a rewarding experience, and um, I appreciate this opportunity. I'll look forward to your uh, upcoming book, Moxie, The Secret to Bold and Gutsy Leadership. Thank you. And uh, listeners, please like us on Facebook, search for CIO Talk Radio, and be sure to follow us on Twitter. Thank you again for listening to CIO Talk Radio. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Please join Sun Joke All next Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Central Time, and 10 a.m. Eastern Time for another hour of CIO Talk Radio on the Voice America Business Channel. CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Bosch Software Innovations.